fair warning, anybody you see wearing one of these blue shirts right here probably really tired, so don't take anything they say to, to heart. <laughs> right here at the end of youth camp, and I always forget how, like with kids camp, kids are exhausting because you're chasing around little kids, little five to 12-year-olds the whole entire time and keeping them happy, and you got to be full of energy to keep them engaged, but the youth camp it lasts one day longer, so it starts on Thursday instead of Friday, and the 12 to 18-year-olds are, it, it's tiring in a different way, we'll say that, <laughs> very draining emotionally and, and just, yeah, mm-hmm. so it's a whole different beast. I, I would say, yes, very tiring, but I like the youth, I like we can go deep. We can go a lot deeper with them, and some really cool things have happened. I may tell you about some of that stuff here in the message. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see if I'm... The Spirit leads me, to quote the last song we just sang. So if you're turning with me, another cool thing about camp. Y'all know... um, this morning we do a chapel service with the teens, so if y'all caught them on their way out, all the helpers, if you notice, two-thirds of the church is missing. They're all helping with the teenagers, and then, you know, half of them are teenagers, so they're actually in it. Um, so if you passed them going out. But we had a chapel service in here this morning, and I sat there listening to it, and it was a great chapel service, but I thought it was really cool because um, Tracy, y'all know Tracy plays guitar up here on the worship team. Tracy did our chapel service this morning. And Tracy used to be my youth pastor when I was a teenager, back in Lithia Springs like years and years ago. And I I don't know that I've heard him like bring a message or teach since then. Probably it's been a while. It's been a long time. And I sat there thinking like how cool is that? Just relationships and people that God puts into your lives and things that he introduced me to music and bought me my first guitar when I was 12 years old. Um, And just, I was just sitting there listening to his chapel service. I was paying attention to the chapel service. It was really good. It was about patience. But those thoughts were just running through my mind like, how cool is that? Relationships for 20-something years and still being in each other's lives and still ministering to people and watching him minister to a group of teenagers this morning. And and I just picked Tracy out because that's the last one that happened, but a lot of you have had parts and and done things. And Kelly did an awesome chapel service yesterday. And I just, it's a cool thing. So today, if you're turning with me in your Bibles, I'm going to start in Colossians 2. But I want to talk to you about the fact that we are better together. There's no question. There's no argument that could, that could change my mind on that. I can show you a ton of Bible verses. I can show you a ton of Christian or not. You've got to believe that we're better together. We're stronger together. We're wiser together. We're more effective together. We can get more done together than any of us can alone. God's never called anybody to be an isolated person off on their own and not in relationship. 
You can never be what you're called to be. You can never walk in purpose on your own. We're community beings. We were created for relationship. We were created to connect. We were created to be a part of a community and a family and, and of fellow humans. We're better together. So camp is going great, and we're seeing some awesome things happen. Why? Because everybody's doing their part. And some people are working their butts off in the kitchen. They're in there right now making lunch, I believe. And, and some people are studying and doing their best and bringing chapel services. And some people are, you know, Journey's the hype man. So her whole job is to just pump up the energy the whole weekend long. That's what she does. And she's good at it. But, you know, Jesse sits on the computer and does organization and the name tags and uh, release waivers and stuff. If Journey was in charge of that, we may flop. This wouldn't be a very good camp. But the other way around, if Jesse was the hype man that had to stand up here jumping up and down in front of him for the last three days... It may not be that good either. <laughs> we, we may not have a very good camp. So we're all good at different things, and we're all gifted at different things. And for some of us, our part is that we come in here and we support church, and, and we drop money in the offering that enables us to have on power so we can do this camp. And for some of us, we go and we cut vegetables in the kitchen for the next meal. And for some of us, we do our part and then we see God do an awesome thing. And we see God work and move and change lives. And, and years and years from now, we see the fruit coming from these teenagers that who knows how they were touched. How their life was changed because we did our part. Have not. I got to do one of the funnest things in the world to me, which is have the worship team behind me playing and, and tell this story that I've been working on and I thought it was this great story and of course I got emotional and I, I yelled and I cried and, and almost every teenager was crying and, and God did a big work and then we walked down the driveway and did some really cool things um, just to kind of help them release and to forgive and and uh there was a lot of cool moments last night, but there's a teenage boy here, and he talked to me a little bit, and then afterwards last night, he found me with tears in his eyes. He hugged me and held on and said, thank you, and I told him, I'm proud of you, and I stood there thinking, what a cool moment, but I couldn't have been a part of that moment. If you guys didn't do your part, because I can't put on a camp, I can't set up that moment, I can't, I couldn't have gotten to that moment. And in fact, when I talked to that same boy Thursday, he wasn't about to give me a hug. He wasn't going to cry in front of me. He wouldn't open up. So what happened in his heart and life last night may have very well changed his whole entire life. But it's because we, not because of me. I couldn't do it. 
That was a great story, but he wouldn't have heard it if I just walked up to him out here on, hey, man, let me tell you a story. Like, I want to hear your story. Why are you crying? You're weird. It, it, I am weird, but God uses weirdness. <laughs> we, we can do a really good camp, right? We can be a good church. We can minister to the community and the world that we're placed in. We can make a difference. It's hard for me to make a difference for you individually, but together we're strong. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remember that scripture in John where Jesus is talking about that he's the vine and we're the branches and if you abide in me and I in you, then you'll bear much fruit. I have a lot of fruit. This whole camp, we've been talking to the kids about being spirit-led. But it's about the fruits of the spirit. So each chapel service, we're talking to them about a different fruit. But we're bringing the point to them that fruit comes out of relationship. And so these fruits, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, it, it comes from a late relationship with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, from walking with Him. And the fruits are just the evidence of that relationship. I'm not supposed to go there yet. I meant to say something else. So if you're connected to Jesus, I mean, if He's the vine and we're the branches, and you're connected to each other too. All the branches are, we're connected to the same vine. John said that if you say you know God and you don't have love for people, then you don't know God. You can't really love God and not love people. It's impossible. I can show you a whole bunch of Bible verses on it. John was big on it. Say so You say you love, you can't tell me you love God and you have a problem with people. You have to connect. You have to figure out how to love people. People are hard sometimes, a lot of times. But we're a team. I don't know of any players that can win a game on their own. Except LeBron James. No, I'm just kidding. Any, there are players, they don't win games on their own. You have to have the team. There's no one football player, I don't care how good they are, they can't win a game by themselves. You can't. Y'all remember Herschel Walker? UGA. Uh, he was interviewed about how he just carried the load and they just gave him the ball over and over and over and over and over. And this, this interviewer asked him the question, don't you get tired of carrying the ball? You know what his answer was? It's not that heavy. <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> it's not that heavy. He was a great running back, but he couldn't win by himself. I don't care how good he was. There's no way one person can win by themselves. Paul said, we're a body with many members. We're one body. Let's read Colossians 2, 18 and 19. I'm going to read it to you in the Message Bible. Don't tolerate people who try to run your life. ordering you to bow and scrape insisting that you join their obsession with angels 
and that you seek out visions. They're a lot of hot air. That's all they are. They're completely out of touch with the source of life. I don't want to be out of touch with the source of life. It's like the vine Jesus was talking about, being the branches connected to the vine, connected to that source of life. Christ, who puts us together in one piece, whose very breath and blood flow through us. He is the head and we are the body. We can grow up healthy in God only as He nourishes us. So He's the head and and we're the body. And you know, we've, Jesus talked about before, in a relationship, if the church is the body and Jesus is the head, you have to love both and be connected to both if you want to produce fruit. I can't say that I love Jesse's head and I don't want anything to do with her body. My wife. That's ridiculous. And we will never produce fruit. You have to be connected to the body. You can't be uh, in love with Jesus. You want nothing to do with the body. Or you won't have a lot of fruit. So like I told you, each of our chapel services this week have been about a different fruit of the Spirit. Um, I got to talk about peace. So I want to talk to you guys for a few minutes about peace. And we'll wrap it up. But Galatians 5, uh, 522 is where Paul's telling us about the fruit of the Spirit. Use fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. Fruit won't grow in a toxic environment. It won't. If it's stagnant or toxic, there's not going to be much fruit. My pastor, uh, Bruce, says that you should ask yourself this question often to just kind of check your, if you're spiritually healthy. Who is drinking from my well? And whose well am I drinking from? Because to be healthy, you need both. You better have an outflow and you better have an inflow. Because if all you're doing is pouring out all the time, then you will find yourself empty if you're never refilling. If all you're doing is just needing and taking and having people pour into you and you're never being generous and you're never pouring out and you're never giving and you're never giving of your talents or your time or your treasures or anything, you're just everything you get is just being swallowed up and eaten on you. Either way, if there's only an inflow or only an outflow, it's not healthy. Both are wrong. You got to have that flow so you don't become stagnant, toxic. I want fruit evident in my life. I want real peace and joy and love, long suffering and patience. Verse 24 says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. 
And if we visit the Spirit, it doesn't say visit. If we live, we like to visit the Spirit every once in a while. We visit the Spirit on Sunday morning for an hour at church. That's not what Paul said. He said, you want fruit. If you live, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk or act in the Spirit. Say, don't just hear it. Let your actions show it. James said, I'll show you my faith by my works. You can look at my life and see what I believe. Verse 26, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Don't be jealous of somebody else. Don't be looking for some vainglory and say, oh, it's all about me. Because of me, God did a powerful work. No, it's not because of you. You couldn't have done it. I couldn't either. We need each other. We rely on the Holy Spirit. So, if you're a believer, if you're being led by the Spirit, if you have Jesus inside of you, you've accepted what He did, then you should have fruit in your life. And fruit's the evidence of a relationship. Fruit or reproduction comes from intimacy. Or to have fruit, you have to have two life sources. Same with a kid. Sky has two life sources. Dusty and Jesse. And he's our fruit. Remember in Genesis when God created the trees and the and the animals and everything, and God said, they shall reproduce after their own kind. We know this. Apples produce apples. You can plant apples and pray for watermelons, but you're wasting your time and God's time. Like, what's the point? Apples produce apples. Humans produce humans. I have three boys. They're all white boys. There's nothing good about that, nothing bad about that, just... They are because you reproduce after your own kind. So if you want to produce the fruits of the Spirit, what do you have to do? You have to be intimate with the Spirit. It comes out of relationship. It's the result of intimacy with the Spirit. I want real peace. I want real joy. I want real faith. I want, I need more patience. I keep on losing it in traffic like Tracy talked to us about this morning. He got more amens on the traffic comment than a lot of things he said. Oh, maybe I'm not being intimate with the Spirit because I don't have a lot of fruit to show. It's about relationship. Fruit's just the evidence. I don't try to get fruit. Oh, now today I'm going to make sure I have peace. I'm going to focus on that peace fruit and I'm going to have peace today. Then it becomes about works and not about relationship. It's got to be about relationship and the fruit is just a result. So I got to talk about peace in my chapel service and about how how the world offers a fake peace. The world offers a peace that's good when things are going good, when your circumstances are good, and then when something bad happens, your peace is gone. That's the fake peace. 
Jesus said he offers a peace that doesn't go away. It's from the inside. Fear and anxiety and turmoil and chaos, those are all opposites of peace. And those are all contagious. You know fear is contagious? You get around somebody that's fearful and afraid, you find yourself being fearful and afraid. And they say your brain fires off um, cortisol, which is anxiety and nerves and fear. You get scared. It's the same thing that like a gazelle, when they're out there eating and they, one of them thinks that here's a lion and they're all jumpy and nervous and then they make all the rest of the gazelles get nervous and jumpy and then one takes off running and they all take off running, whether it's a lion coming out of the bushes or not. And it might be a rabbit hopping out. But it's contagious. And the lion comes out running and chasing after him. Guess what? The gazelle is running. The lion's running. They're both doing the same thing. One of them is being driven by fear. One is being driven by hunger. What's driving you? If you're being driven by fear, that's not peace. You're being driven by anxiety and chaos or turmoil. It's that what drives you. It's not so much what you do. Why do you do it? What's driving you? How do I grow peace? Plant peace seeds. How do I do that? With words. Your words can be poison or fruit. Scripture tells us to be a peacemaker. You know you can walk into a situation. You can walk into a house and bless it. Or curse it. You can cause turmoil and fear. Or you can cause peace. And love just by the things you say. When you get home from a long hard day. You make a decision to walk in and bless your house. Or the people around you. With peace. Or anger. Or fear. Fake peace or real peace. Now, the world offers a fake peace. There is a fake peace, and it's based on circumstances, on what happens to you, or when something bad happens or something good happens, you're good. If something bad happens, you're not. There's a fake peace, and there's fake joy and fake love. It looks good. It looks right. It looks okay. In, uh, in Chicago... There's um, Kaminsky Park. There used to be these giant apartments across the street from Kaminsky Park where they play baseball games. Um, and the apartments were 30 and 40 stories high. So I'm talking huge. Um, and there were housing projects. So just kind of a rough area, these giant projects. But there's a true story and I saw an, like an article on it um, that a fire started in one of the apartment buildings around midnight and it started spreading through the whole building 
firemen came on the scene and determined they weren't going to be able to put it out, so they need to evacuate the building as quickly as possible. Get everyone out of that building as fast as they can because they can't put it out. It's already gotten up in the attics of the different of several different floors and it's going down. It's burning. So they began with all the police department and uh, all the fire department going through every single floor and they did a great job and they got everyone out of that building and the police got tape all the way around the building and and basically they were spraying water around but the building was going down. They were just making sure everybody was safe at this point. And this woman comes running up, screaming her lungs out, my baby, my baby, my baby. And she tries to get through the tape. And the policeman grabs her and says, ma'am, you're not going near that building. And she said, my baby, my baby's in there. And he said, one of the firemen said, no, ma'am, we've evacuated everyone out of that building. And she's screaming frantically. And she said, you don't understand. My kids were home alone. I left my kids at home and they got evacuated, but they forgot to grab the baby out of the crib. And she's pointing back at her little kids and they're crying and screaming and they got evacuated by the firemen, but they forgot to grab the baby out of the crib. And so they said, ma'am, we can't let you go back in that building. And so one of the firemen, the brave firemen said, I'll go in the building. You need to tell me quickly what floor did you live on? What number was your apartment? What room is the crib in? And so the woman's giving him all the information. She tells him, go up to this floor, go and tells him everything. So he puts on his gear and he pulls down his mask and he takes an oxygen tank and he takes an axe so in case he needs to bust through the door and he goes in and the smoke at this point was so bad he couldn't even see. And so he dropped down low and he came up to the stairs and he started going up the stairs but he couldn't see any of the numbers on the stairs to know what floor was at. And so he had to count his way as he would come to the next floor. He counted one, two, three until he got to the right floor and then he counted the apartment doors until he got to the one she said and he busted in and by this point he said you couldn't see anything from about knee high you couldn't see and so he dropped to his hands and knees and was looking and he sees the four legs of the crib in the room where she said and he goes over to the crib and by this point the wall's on fire and there's flames and it's loud and noisy and he reaches in the crib and he feels and he feels the baby and he grabs the baby and he unzips his jacket stuffs it in his jacket zips it back up and buttons the top of the jacket and then drops to his knees and begins to crawl out and runs gets back down the stairs as quick as he can and he comes out by this point there's news cameras out there and the giant crowds all watching to see if he's going to make it out the fireman comes running out the door and just as he's coming across the parking lot the building starts to collapse behind him falling in so the crowd roars and goes crazy yeah because they see this lump in his jacket and they see him start to unzip the jacket and this is true story he unzips the jacket and the mom's running up to him and he pulls it out and it's a baby doll he grabbed the wrong thing and it looked like a baby it felt like a baby it was in in the place where a baby was supposed to be it was everything it it looked right but it had no life it wasn't real fruit but he couldn't see the real and he grabbed the fake what a tragedy 
looked like a baby. It felt like a baby. But it wasn't real. The world offers fake peace and fake joy and fake love and fake hope. And I don't want to settle for a fake. I don't want to make a mistake and realize I don't have peace. I've grabbed the wrong baby. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. It's a peace that the world can't give. And it's a peace that works no matter what. No matter what happens out here. I don't want to settle for fake peace. I want real fruit. How do we do that? In relationship with God and like we talked about first with each other. Together. We're better together in community. Well, relationship's hard. Yeah, it is. So is school. And we make our kids do it. So is exercising or training for an event or... Yeah, it's hard. But it's necessary. You want to be effective in the kingdom? You need people. Who else in the Bible needed people? I've talked to you about how much we need people and how much I need people and how but when I think about the Bible, who in the Bible needed relationships to do what they were called to do and walk out their purpose? How about Jesus? First thing he did was started putting together a crew. Before he started doing miracles, he started getting disciples, fishermen and tax collectors and all kind of people, not perfect people, not even, I mean, really, if you look at not qualified people, which who is qualified to be the disciple of the Son of God? Probably no one. That was the first thing he did before he started his world-shaking ministry was went, went around putting together a crew of Peter, the dude with the big mouth and the temper. and I mean, this guy carried a weapon. He'd get mad and chop people's ears off. Uh, that was a good one. And he had some dudes that doubted and he had a couple of mama's boys that thought they were awesome and they weren't really that cool. And he had, I mean, he had all kind of people in his group his crew it wasn't that they were all just easy no Jesus had all kind of people the God man the perfect one all God all man and even he needed people the miracle work in Jesus had to gather a team to be like Jesus Okay, so here's the formula that we see from Jesus. Step number one to change the world and walk in purpose. Get connected to a team of idiots. Check. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not talking about any of y'all specifically. I'm just saying us collectively. No. <laughs> okay, so that was step number one. Number two, what Jesus do? Serve, love, give, and ultimately lay down your life to change the world. Hmm. 
Well, that sounds like church. Sounds like camp. Get connected to a group of ragtags or whoever God's sent to connect you to and love, give, serve. Lay down your life and watch people's world be changed. Serve somebody and watch what God will do. Proverbs 13, 20. Wise men. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Solomon wrote that. He was the wisest man that we know of. And he's saying, you need people. You want to be wise? Hang around with some wise people. Understand that you don't know everything. You can learn from other people. Different people than you. You need people. Romans 15, 33. This is pretty crazy. Paul's writing this book. All right? And he writes, chapter 15, this is how he ends. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. It's a common way that Paul ended his letters or books. So he ends that chapter there. But then he comes back like, uh, oh, but I, uh, and then he gives us this huge list of names in chapter 16. And he goes all the way down and he names 33 different people that have helped him in the ministry. People that have fed him and ministered to him and gave him a place to stay and, and called him here and there. And like, you go read chapter 16, pretty much the whole chapter is Paul naming people that were connected to him and helped him carry out this ministry. So it was almost like he ended the letter and then he said, oh, but wait, I, I just wanted to thank so-and-so and so-and-so and he did her part, his part and she did her part and they did their part and I, you know, I couldn't have done it without them and that. And, and he does this whole thing and then in chapter 16, verse 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. He's like, now I can end. It was like he had just had to throw in this list. Paul ended the book and then he said, oh, but wait, I almost forgot. He names 33 different people that helped him, that partnered with him in ministry, some with their time and financially and all different ways. Paul needed people. And he put a whole chapter in the Bible as a reminder. A whole chapter just full of names that reminds us we need people. 2 Corinthians 7. Second Corinthians 7, 5, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears, no peace. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. 
when everything was falling apart. There were fightings without and fears within. Paul said, man, it was bad. And God sent Titus. You need people. You ever heard of the red, the um, redwood trees? It's the largest tree. Um, redwood trees grow up to 300 feet tall. And the roots only go five feet deep. Now, how in the world can a 300-foot-tall tree stand there with five feet deep roots? The roots are shorter than me. And a tree is that tall. How? They don't grow alone. You can't find one 300-foot-tall red, redwood tree standing there by itself. They don't do it. They can't do it. storm will blow it over. Why? Because their roots go in and interlock, growing with each other. Even though they're only five feet deep, they're locked to the roots of the tree next to it, and they grow into the roots of the tree next to it and next to it and next to it. So... All these trees are connected to each other so no storm can blow them over. Anyone on its own would fall over the first good gust of wind. But they're connected to each other. 1 Samuel, I'm going to wrap it up. This is it. Last thought. 1 Samuel 26, 6. Now this is when King Saul hated David because he knew he was going to take the throne and he was anointed to be king. So King Saul's a little bit bitter and angry and he's chasing after David, hunting him down, wanting to kill him. Pretty serious. I'm going to kill you. And at this time, King Saul had an army of 3,000 trained men that were searching for David and anybody associated with David that they were going to kill, wipe off the mat, map, and David only had 600 men. Not very good odds. So just to let you know what's, what's going on here, Saul shows up with his 3,000 men. David's close. They've just about Ahimelech. Verse 6, taking charge, David spoke to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of Zeriah, Joab's brother. And David said, who will go down with me and enter Saul's camp? David, that's suicide. David, that's a bad idea. He's got 3,000 men. You want to go down there, and now you want to know who's going to go with you. Abishai whispered. Why? I think he whispered because he wasn't very confident. Not, I'll go with you. No, it was a, I'll go with you. 
we do a little bit more studying and digging, you can find out that Abishai was David's nephew. He said, hey, uncle, I'll go with you. Do you have somebody in your life that'll go with you? When you're going into unbeatable odds, when you're going into the enemy's camp, when, when you feel like you need to go do something or God's told you to go do something, do you have anybody in your life that'll whisper, I'll go with you? We might not win, but I'll go with you. There's power in that. You fast forward a little bit to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 21, 15. Moreover, the Philistines, y'all remember the Philistines? That was where Goliath the giant, he was one of the Philistines that, that made David famous by killing him. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel, and David went down and his servants with him and they fought against the Philistines and David waxed faint he was tired exhausted wore out why because at this time in life David was old he was just old and tired he was wore out and exhausted and they went down and they fought and it said David was tired and he waxed faint David was about ready to pass out Oh, Lord, I don't know how long I can keep on fighting these old Philistines. Verse 16. And Ishbabinob. That's a cool name. Anybody having a baby, you might want to think about that one. Ishbabinob. Sound good? No? <laughs> it may not be the right way to pronounce it, but that's how I like I, I think it sounds pretty cool. And Ishbabinob which was of the sons of the giant. Oh, there's one of Goliath's relatives showed up. Of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight. That's 80 pounds. His spear weighed 80 pounds. Now, for a man to be strong enough to be able to effectively throw a spear that weighs 80 pounds, that's impressive. I doubt there's many people in here that can curl 80 pounds, much less throw it at a moving target and be successful. This dude was huge, strong, a warrior. One of Goliath's relatives, a giant with a heck of a name. And he being girded with a new sword. I guess he had him a brand new sword in case that spear missed. The 80-pound spear didn't do the job. He also had a new sword. Thought to have slain David. He came there with the purpose to kill David. David was old. David waxed faint. He said, I'm going to pay him back for what he did to Goliath. How they defeated all our people. He went with the purpose of killing David. Remember how David killed the last giant? 
a rock and a sling. That was how he killed the last one. Look what happened right here. Verse 17, but Abishai, David's nephew, remember Abishai? I'll go with you. That dude, he was still with him. Years and years and years in battle and battles and battles later, victory after victory, some loss, some defeat, some ups and some downs. Abishai still with David. But Abishai, the son of Tom, secured him and he smote the Philistine. Abishai said, no, David, I got this one. And he stepped up and he killed him. And then the men of David swore unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. I said, David, no. You're called to something different now. Let your nephew lead the charge. Hey, we got this. Guess what? The rock wouldn't work on this giant. I close the service by telling you today, yeah, it worked in the past. But it may not work on this giant. It may take you out if you're not willing to connect, to be in relationship. This giant means to kill this one. See, the rock didn't work on this one. He needed a friend. At first, when David fought Goliath, see, at first you have to learn to trust God. David had to learn to trust God. When he stepped up there with a sling and a rock, it was like, God, hey, help me. I got to trust you. I trust you to help me kill this giant. So David had to learn how to trust God first. But then he had to learn how to trust somebody. That is sometimes much harder than learning to trust God. You got to learn to trust a person. He had to learn to trust somebody because the rock won't work this time. There are giants that you can't kill on your own. But there are giants in your life that you cannot kill by yourself. They will take you out because you're old. We all get old. I'm talking about spiritually. There are giants that can take you out. So stop cutting off Jesus' head. Cutting off the relationships in His body that He's placed in your life for a reason. Do you have to go to church to be saved and go to heaven one day? Nope. Absolutely not. You got to go to church or do you have to be connected or do you have to have relationships for God to love you and to save yourself? No, Jesus died on the cross for you. But to grow, you need to be planted. You need to be connected to spiritually grow and be all that you can be and to make impact. You must be connected, planted. And I'm not talking about an oak tree and a flower pot either. You ain't getting too big. 
and where you can just move around every time you get uncomfortable or upset or Matt, you just run, pick up your pot and take off. We're supposed to be planted, sink in some roots. Your roots can't intertwine with other people's roots if you're in a pot. Get out of the pot. Plant your feet. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, forgive us for the times that we're unwilling to change. That we keep coming at old Ishbabina with a rock. God, thank you for placing people in our lives that can help us. People in our lives with wisdom. You've placed connections and people all around us. God, help us to trust you, but help us to trust people. God, we want real fruit. We don't want a fake We don't want an imitation. We don't want something that looks like fruit. We want real fruit. We want a real relationship with you. We want to be led by your spirit. God, draw us closer to you and draw us closer to each other. I thank you for the big things that you are doing in us and through us. Thanks for giving each one of us a place and a part. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.